To my life be like Shashwat Baxi here for another fun-filled episode of my podcast, where I talk to individuals across the spectrum of roles and responsibilities. Today, my guest is Jonathan Esmail, um, or uh, Ish, or Johnny Five, uh, Johnny Cinco. The, all the nicknames as anybody who's known John as long as I have um, might know him by. Uh, so, first and fall, uh, first and foremost, Ish, welcome to the program. Welcome to my life be like. Sash, it's been a really long time since we uh, got to catch up, and I really, really do appreciate you giving me the opportunity to just chop it up with you a little bit right now. Um, I look forward to our. I look forward to what we're going to be talking about today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing here, Ish, as I start the conversations with everybody on the podcast. So, first, why don't you give a little bit of a background about yourself? Uh, just a couple sentences because we're really going to get into the details as we go forward. So. Um, what would you like to sort of tell people who you are, what do you do, and then we'll dive in. Yeah, uh, my name is John Esmail. Everyone calls me Ish. That was a nickname uh, um, that was uh, given to me when I was a young kid playing sports. Um, sports are were a really, really big part of my life. Um, I'm a son. I'm a brother. Uh, I'm a godfather. I'm a dog father. Uh, I'm an athlete, wash-up athlete. I'm a coach. Uh, you know, I'm a friend. I'm a mentor. Um, anything that I could uh, give myself as to other people, um, that's what I consider myself. So, awesome. Um, that's, right that's now, great. I'm a I'm a fellow podcaster. Very nice, very nice. Um, and one of the things I'm going to call out up front uh, for those of you listening, um, Ish was actually featured on a number of media sources in Connecticut for a lot of the work that he did, selfless work. Uh, if you if you've ever known John or seen him, you wouldn't think that this is something that he did. But John actually spent a lot of time in his own money um, sewing masks for people in the area, which I want to call that out up front because I, th I thought it was phenomenal. And I really was proud of the fact that the media picked up on that, John, and you were you know, featured on various media outlets for you to take time in your sewing machine as a big masculine football player, basketball player, coach, be a guy who was, you know, uh, spending your time sewing masks was phenomenal. So shout out to you. And I definitely want to call that out publicly because I thought that was phenomenal. Um, and I think most of the community did as well. So definitely wanted to tell you that publicly, how amazing that was to see. So. Yeah, I appreciate that. I got lucky. Just to touch on that real quick. I got lucky. I have a, a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Musakakis. He's over at St. Francis. And um, right before or, you know, right as the pandemic was hitting, he who I sewed and he goes, Hey, I'm just throwing this out there. Um, this is going to be a thing. So if you could figure out how to do this, it's going to be uh, really helpful for our first responders. So it just, it kind of just took off from there. Um, and it was, it was really fun coming across a lot of people and people who needed it and um, just really, really getting after sewing. Uh, I can't even look at my sewing machine right now, but uh, you, there might be a baby blanket in the future. I'm, I make baby blankets, so very nice. If you know, if, nice. if you know anybody, yeah, yeah. I don't don't know anybody who needs a baby blanket soon, so I appreciate yeah. that. That's great. Well, I did. I wanted to start there because I thought that was phenomenal. Um, I, the first question I asked all my all my 
guess-ish is when you were growing up, what did you want to do? Obviously, you love sports. You're athletically inclined. Uh, for those of um, my listeners who don't know, I, you're six foot seven, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah I might be six, shrinking. Seven, six, eight, six, nine? Uh, six, 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 seven, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Six, 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 six seven. Um, you know, played football, basketball in, uh, throughout high, uh, your youth and then into high school. So what were you thinking about doing? Was there a thought? Was there a track you were looking to go down? Was, was it just, I'm into sports now, let's see what happens in the future? Where were you at that point? Growing up, the only thing I thought about was eating <laughs> and playing sports. You know, um, school came pretty easy to me growing up as a young kid. So it was do my homework as fast as I can, go outside, who's outside, who's playing. Um, and, and that's all I ever really wanted to do was, you know, be around my friends and family and play sports. Um, and there, there was no thought of, of what I wanted mm -hmm. to do, what I wanted to be. You know, everyone's like, oh, I want, you know, some people genuinely know what they want to do at five, six, seven, eight years old. All I wanted to do was eat and run around and play sports. So there wasn't really any thought to that. Um, it, it was just pretty much, you know, where's the next game at? Where's the next competition at? Um, right. That's kind of just what I thought about at oh, that why age. Not? Why not? If, I mean, if it's, uh, if it's something that you do well, of course it's something that you're going to think about all the time. So I knew you, at, at least in your last year of, of high school, so we'll start there. Um, varsity athlete on the football team, varsity athlete on the basketball team. After those seasons were over, as you were graduating, what was the plan then for you? Was it think about playing sports in college? Was that the expectation? Was that what you wanted yeah. to do? Is that what you ended up doing? Yeah, so um, to touch on what I was saying before about being a good student in high school, um, that, that was not the case. Mm. I was the guy who wouldn't do homework, who you know wouldn't do a project, but ace a test. And I was always just getting by, just doing enough because, like I said, I was very uh, distracted with sports and other yeah. things, you know, that sure. might distract young men in, in high school. Right. Uh, so um, I was planning on going to prep school. Um, I, I, I grew up single father, uh, me and my brother and my father. So dad was always working. There wasn't a lot of money there. Um, there wasn't a lot of guidance as far as the next steps. Uh, Coach Kelly, Jude Kelly, gave me the opportunity to speak to a couple prep school coaches, but I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So mm. um, I'm filling out applications, all that stuff. My father had never gone to college. No one in my family had gone to college at that point. And I just didn't know what I was doing. Um, I thought I was locked into a school. And, uh, you know, in the 11th hour, I got a message back you know, I wasn't accepted and, and it wasn't, it didn't even come from them. You know, the coach, it came from a letter from the school. So um, it's March 15th, every single deadline to every single school is already done and passed through right. um, any type of scholarships that I, I, you know, had on the table or stuff like that, you know, were long gone. So I scrambled and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I ended up um, staying, taking a couple of classes over the summer, staying home in the fall and uh taking a couple courses and i was going to transfer into worcester state college in massachusetts and i th honestly think me not going to school right away set the pendulum forward and in everything that i was going to do with my life because i spent that fall with you remember randy mackles randy was a teammate Absolutely. you know teammate 
played tailback. His father was coaching youth football at the time, and me and Randy were both home in the fall, and, you know, he wasn't going to let us get into trouble. So he was like, you want to coach for us, you know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah absolutely. I'll come I'll come <laughs> coach youth football. Like, I so, still thought I was playing. You know, I should have yeah, been playing yeah, yeah. at that point. So um, I spent that fall, fall playing, um, you know, coaching uh, – youth football and coaching powder puff football at the high school. And it, that kind of set the pendulum b- before I really knew what I wanted to do, because, you know, I went up in the spring and started playing football at, at Worcester state. Um, but it kind of gave me the itch to coach um, before I even considered and knew I was going to mm. be a coach. That's awesome. Okay. So fall comes along, you start working there. Uh, you think of you, head up to Worcester State. Uh, I know you didn't finish up, right, at Worcester State. So I did what, brought you, I did not, what, brought I did you, what brought you back from Worcester State and then into your sort of your first official post uh, high school job? Yeah, so um, I went up to Worcester State and uh, I practiced with the team in the spring. Uh, you know, I practiced with the hoops team, but I wasn't, you know, using the years of eligibility yet. And I came back into the fall and I had a decent freshman year. Um, I started for most of the season. Um, towards the end of the season, uh, I wasn't and not quite sure or clear on why that was. You know, we had a lot of good players on the team. Mm. We were a good team. Um, we ended up playing in a playoff game in Lowell and probably midway through the second quarter. I caught a pass, and I landed, and I landed funny, and the ball came out, and I popped up, and my shoulder was burning, and I'm like, ah, Oh, this is, must be like what a stinger feels like. Sure. So I ran back to the line. We were no huddle. I'm lining up kind of tight. So I, you know, just kind of, you know, stretched my arm out and I just heard crack, crack. And I really almost threw up in my helmet. And the play goes on and I just ran right at a linebacker and I hit him to try to get my guy open because I knew something. I, I wasn't going to play another play in that game. So I ended up coming off and I, I had a broken collarbone. So um, th- that was basketball season. See you later. Um, and I was up in Massachusetts. It's cold, it, you know, uh, commuter school. Yeah. I didn't, really didn't know anybody. I didn't have a car up there. I didn't have any money, you know, and I, I just wasn't focused on school. I, I'm focused on am I ever going to play again? I'm not For playing sure. basketball. I want to be home. Uh, it was just all those things that, I, I mean, looking now in – in the landscape of the world today, I could genuinely say I was battling a, about a depression. And, you know, those are things that you can't ever talk about. I mean, it's still taboo now. Um, so I really struggled. I wasn't going to class. I wasn't doing anything. I mean, it was, it was bad. So I ended up finishing out the year there and I was, I was home and I was at uh, coach Prairie's house. And it was Nikki Prairie's graduation, and Coach Kelly was asking me about um, school. And he could tell that I, you know, I didn't really enjoy it or wasn't enjoying the experience. And he flat out asked me, he said, if you want to coach, you could come coach wide receivers at Southington. And in that moment, it was like the brightest light that ever hit me in the face (laughs) because I had no direction. I didn't, I had no idea, you know, this was the first time I was faced with the, um, opportunity or, you know, lack thereof to play mm-hmm. sports, you know, competitively. So um, I took that and I ran with it. And 
Um, I coached that first season and I was like working at price chopper in town going, this is like, this is terrible. I can't do this. I got to get back to school. I was going to go try to play again. Um, and, and I apologize if I'm getting a little long in the tooth, but I'm trying to get to, you know, to answer this question. Um, I coached that year and then coach Kelly ended up leaving. So at that point I'm like, that was cool. You know, I coached football, you know, I'm going to go play again. And, um, that wasn't going to be the case. And my father had bought a house in the, in, in New Britain, the next town over, which is, you know, anyone listening is the biggest rival, you know, in the state, Sellington and New Britain. So my brother was going to be a senior there and they got a new head coach. And, and, and my brother was like, you need to talk to this guy. My dad was like, you need to talk to this guy, coach Grasso, Jim Grasso from Southington had dropped me and Armando's name to this new coach. His name was Paul Morell. Um, so me and Armando went down to practice and we walked right up to him and said, Hey, how's it? And he ran up to us, put his hand out, shook his hand, shook our hands and said, Hey, do you want to play or do you want to coach at New Britain? Me and Armando looked at each other. We're like, yeah, because yeah. the new coach at Sellington didn't want us. We went and right. spoke to him and the new coach at Sellington didn't want us. He was like, sure. yeah, you know, you could help us out in the summertime, whatever. So, um, from there, uh, I started working at a bar called Murphy and Scarletti's and I did everything there. I was mm-hmm. behind the bar. I was bar back and I was working the door, um, hustling during lunches. And I think that's a big reason why I didn't end up going back to school because I was, I was loving coaching and coaching in New Brent, which is a totally different climate than where I grew up in. And I was making like six, $700 a week. You know, under the yeah. table. So yeah, I'm 20, yeah, yeah. 21 years old making, you know, 700 bucks a week. It's like school. Who wants to go back right. to school? So sure. um, that's, that's kind of what had started really propelling me forward and saying, hey, I want to be a coach and I like coaching. And what actually took me uh, from going back to school at that time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So Murphy and Scarletti's. Right. You're doing a whole bunch of work there. You're coaching on the side. Um, what was it like being at a place where you see all these people that you, you know, used to go be, be in school with, right? Coming into the bar and, you know, being this guy. I mean, you were you were somebody everybody knew in high school. Right. Let's be serious. And now you've got all these, you know, kids that are younger than you showing up and be like, hey, John. Yeah. How's it going? So- what are you doing here? So Murphy's was really cool because it was owned by a Sellington guy, uh, Bill McDougal and another guy, Brian Moffitt. And, and I really have to thank those guys because I didn't I didn't have one lick of work ethic when it came to like real work, <laughs> you know. So, you know, they groomed me and they gave me a lot of opportunity to make money and do things and learn things. Um, and it was cool because I got to have a lot of. Uh, the guys that I played ball with and people are still around town working with me. I got everybody a job there. Anybody, uh-huh. Scotty B, Armando, Larry, Aaron Sanders, uh, Gene, um, Randy. I mean, everyone worked with us at Murphy's. <laughs> and that those years were really, really fun because it was yeah, like, sure. you know, we, we had, you know, you know, and I don't have to go much no, further, but 21 years old working at a bar, yeah, uh, one of the most popular ones in town uh, that was right. great but with some I of your best friends with some of my best friends with some of my best friends and so i say that to say this um 
that at that age it afforded me and allowed me the skills to uh, network yeah. to uh, you know to to show some authority and kind of mm -hmm. feel myself out i'm dealing with grown-ups you know i'm right. dealing with grown men and women you For know sure. who are inebriated who are intoxicated who you know are skipping out on their bills people are you know all these skills yeah, yeah. that you don't realize you're gaining in a place like that as a young person um that really allowed me uh to gain a skill set mm. that that i use i use today you know how hard That's it sure. is to reason with a person who you know who's angry who might have just gotten to a fight with their boyfriend or girlfriend who needs to pay their bill i mean you learn negotiation skills um that are are great that are crazy because right. you got to keep the place safe. We were security. We got to keep the place safe. There's 400 people in this place, you know. So communication and and understanding and empathy and you know all that stuff. Um, but it got to the point where now I'm 23, 24, going. I can't be doing this anymore, you know. Like right. four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, all weekend. I'm shot for the week. Um, and I can't, I'm not going to work at the bar my whole life, you know? Right. So, um, I ended up reaching out to a guy, we were playing flag football still in leagues competitively after. And I, I went up to a guy, a kid that I knew from New Britain. And I said, Todd, where do you work again? And he said, I work at Raymond Hill school. I said, what is that? And he goes, it's a, a residential treatment facility for kids who have, you know, abuse and trauma, um, kids who can't uh kids who can't get along in, in their regular school environment if they don't have services for these kids they send them here and also at uh raymond hill was part of klingberg klingberg had a whole bunch of group homes there so it was a huge campus so i said who do i need to talk to and he said go talk to tasha she's in the front she's at the front desk you know tell her you want a job so i put on my nicest outfit the next day i rolled up there with my uh with, with uh, my resume. I asked for Tasha. She goes, "Are you DCF? Are you working for DCF Children and <laughs> Family?" And I'm like, "No, I'm looking for a job." And she looked at me funny because I mean I was dressed to the nines. And she goes, "Oh, okay, okay." So she's like, "You need to go see Jane Morris." I said, "Where's she? she?" That was the principal, and she pointed to her. I walked up to Jane Morris and said, "Hi, Jane. My name is John Esmail. Here's my resume. Hire me." And she was like, "Um." Uh, hold on. And she grabbed the vice principal. The vice principal took me on a tour. And two weeks later, I was um, I was getting my orientation done. So that's that was like my first real. That's my first real job. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, what position did they hire you for? What did you, what was the what were the responsibilities that they were asking you to do? So I was a one to one. So okay. I was I was student support. I worked with um, with a young man who had uh, ADD, ADHD, Tourette's, and mm -hmm. um, he, he had aggression. He was aggressive. Mm -hmm. um, and I, so each classroom had a teacher, a teacher's assistant, and like two or three one-to-ones. Um, in, in the school, the dynamic of the school was wild. It was, it was elementary, so uh, kindergartners all the way up to high schoolers. So we, oh. had, kindergarten, we had elementary and middle on the bottom mm -hmm. floor. It was just like a state-of-the-art school. It was beautiful. Um, and then the middle floor was like all the electives, occupational therapy, all the therapists and stuff like that. And then the third floor was the high school. So there was separation there. Um, 
but yeah, so I started out as a one to one. Um, and my, my boy, it's, uh, you know, uh, he was, me and him got real, real tight and there wasn't a day that went by, you know, uh, we didn't really, really get along and we didn't make strides to, you know, reach his goals and stuff like that. So, um, he ended up being outplaced back to his school, not too far along after that. Uh, and I ended up becoming a teacher's assistant. Um, I started at TA. So, uh, when I started at Klingberg, right when I started at Klingberg, I was also working at, uh, the Nike coach of the year clinic for coach Stamilio. Sure. Um, and that we, you know, we have big name coaches from all over the country come high school, college, uh, right. NFL guys. It's an awesome weekend. It's actually this weekend. Um, but you know, with, with, you know, the pandemic and stuff, we, we, we're not having it. Sure. Um, I was an old Southington guy a, a couple weeks prior was leaving a restaurant when I was walking in, we asked, Hey, how'd you, do, how'd you do this week? Oh, you know, we won. How'd you do? Oh, uh, we lost to South Windsor and he was at Hartford public. And I'm like, heck does Hartford public lose to South Windsor? And the score was six to zero. So I was teasing him. I said, Hey, tone, tell coach Bellucci that I'll run the offense for him next year. Yeah. And he goes, I'm going to tell him. So at the clinic, coach Bellucci walks up to me. I had no idea. He's like, and that's how he talks. He goes, yo, dog, come talk to me real quick. I'm like, uh, uh, stuttering. I'm 24 <laughs> years old, and I know exactly why he's going to talk to me. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah after, I'm going to go I'm gonna go see this clinic real quick. I'll talk to you after. I was sweating, and uh, he goes, you know, he was asking me about my schedule, and I had just got that job in the school, and he was, right. you know, what's your schedule like? Well, I get out at 2.45, whatever. He's like, if you're serious, I would like to consider you for offensive coordinator position, Um, which, you know, for me, for a couple, yeah, me walking by a kid that I knew from back in the day telling him to tell Coach Bellucci to give me a job, dude sees me three months later and offers me a job. Like, who would have known? That's why I love sports, man. It's just all those connections with guys, you know, you you grow up with and you play against and play for. So um, when I started that job, at um, Raymond Hill School uh, was right in line to when I started coaching in Hartford. So like that first chapter piece of my life was like that Murphy and Scarletti's New Britain years, that four years, I I couldn't trade it for the world. Um, But then it was like, oh, I got a big boy job now. And, uh, you know, I got a big boy coaching job. And that's when I started dabbling, going back into school and kind of hammering away at classes, not at the pace that I wanted to, but um, it ended up being more than I than I could do at the time because I was working at the group homes, right? You know, working at the school out of football season, I was you know going sixty seventy hours a week. Um, but Hartford kind of you know set the trajectory for for the next ten years. Tw- shoot, ten years, like thirteen years of my life that um, you know really really had me see and understand what i want to do for the rest of my life so what year was this what year did you get this opportunity to start at hartford public as well as with raymond hill it was 2009 and and i remember that because um my first day of school was the day obama got sworn into office got it got it so it was january 20th 2009 um (laughs) It was my first day at Raymond Hill School. 
and uh, technically when I was starting, um, it was like a month later I, I, I got offered right. the position at Harvard High, yeah. That's awesome. So since then, right, a lot has transpired. Um, obviously we're not just gonna, I don't want you to full rush through the last 12 years to get to where we are today. Um, how did you go from Raymond Hill to back to Sellington? And how did you go from offensive coordinator of Hartford Public to then, you know, inevitably becoming athletic director in, in Hartford Public Schools where we are right now? Okay. So um, I, I was coaching at Hartford High and I was trying as hard as I could to, to get into the school. So mm -hmm. I was three or four years in, and I realized that I had a genuine opportunity to become the next head coach there, and I loved Hartford. I loved Hartford. I loved the kids. They were so different from New Britain, and you, you would just think, oh, all city kids are the same. Right. They're not. not um, the they're, it's not the case. No, yeah. You know, kids are kids, but um, kids from different towns are just – Read different. So I loved the Hartford kid. I loved being in Hartford and I wanted to get into the school. So I ended up getting a position at the alternative center in New Britain. And that was wild. Like we did when I was at Raymond Hill, I mean, we dealt with some really sick kids and, um, you know, there was kids that would do self-harm and harm others and stuff like that. So we had to do all sorts of de-escalation techniques, and, and some of that would um, turn into, you know, physical holds. And it got to the point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't hold an eight-year-old kid just yeah. because they're getting aggressive. It, it, it just got to the point. So I'd start a re restraint reduction committee, um, and then it got. I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I ended up moving on to the alternative center, and that was worse because, I mean, now you're dealing with mainstream kids. Right. Um, who are older, we were dealing with high schoolers, a lot of them were high schoolers, a lot of them, you know, um, you know, could have been, might have been, um, you know, running the streets, affiliated sure. and stuff like that. So um, I did a year of that and I, and I was like, I need to get, I need to get out of here. Mm. Um, and it wasn't anything more than I, I didn't want to, that, that wasn't the role I wanted to be working with young kids you know, sure. or, you know, with youth, I didn't want to be somebody who was there to intimidate them into doing mm -hmm. the things that they needed to do. That wasn't, you're the, you're the enforcer. You don't, yeah, I didn't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy, you know? Uh, so I ended up finally getting into Hartford high. Um, and I have to thank a guy named Frank Samuelson and Kathy Morelli, um, two mentors of mine who are unbelievable unbelievable people. Frank was an interim principal. So when I was at Hartford High, I had five principals in four years. Wow. And yeah, and there was probably six more when I was just coaching. So mm -hmm. Frank was an interim and he wanted to start a program because they have these funky positions in Hartford called projects and program support facilitators. That was my okay. technical role. <laughs> so people are like, what is that? And the beauty of yeah. that position is if you're a principal, you could use it for anything. Mm. So if you wanted to use it as the copy maker of the school, yeah. you could use it as a copy maker of the school. Mm. He used it. Exactly. So yeah. he used it as a program we call the LEAP program. And what we did, what they did was identify like 15 freshmen who – uh, weren't on track to move on to sophomore year. 
and they had me and this uh, young man, Andre Lawrence. Andre Lawrence was a legend at Hartford High. He was probably seven or eight years younger than me. He had left right before I started coaching there. Um, Andre went on to play linebacker at BC and earn his degree, and he's working in Boston. He's an unbelievable human being. So me and Andre ran this LEAP program, and I didn't even need to be the enforcer because Andre <laughs> was way better than I was. So, um, and he was so quiet, and the kids loved us. We were just we sure. just kept it real with them, you know. Right. And we ended up having like nine or ten kids who ended up really sticking to it. And I took a lot of the stuff I got from Raymond Hill as far as like goal sheets and and managing the goals and getting there and reward system and stuff like that. Um, and then Frank ended up leaving. So that position was up in the air again. So I'm like, great, new principal coming in. Um, and I ended up being like a dean of students for like three months. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. So then they didn't, didn't know what to do with me. Um, at that point, they had hired a dean. and um, I ran in school suspension. So, yeah, so now I'm coaching, but I'm in the school, and that's the most right. important thing because sure. my kids see me, you know, my kids see me every single day. No question. And um, I'm still working at the group homes, and probably my after after that first year is when I stopped. And it's funny that you talked about the sewing thing. I had stopped working at the group homes because I, I was working at Harvard High, and that's all I needed to do at that point. Right. And um, we had this huge blizzard in in Connecticut. We got dropped like 30 inches. And I remember watching that little boy on Shark Tank, Moe's Bows. Yeah. started a bow tie company. I couldn't yep. find a bow tie to save my life. I wanted to wear bow ties um, like I had anywhere to go. <laughs> but I, I wanted to wear bow ties. And we had this blizzard. And it's like three days in Christmas vacation. And I'm normally like working, working shifts. And I was like, I need to get the heck out of my house. I'm going to buy a sewing machine. So I walked down Queen Street, you know, uh, main, main Street in Southington, walked down Queen Street in the blizzard, bought all this sewing equipment and walked it back to my house and sat there and was like, I don't know what to do next. I took it <laughs> to school. I had an idea. But I just started Googling stuff. But um, um, I stopped working at the group homes. Right. And, and I, and I was I was working at Hartford High and like that's you know that's 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 what it was and I was running in school suspension and and it was you know it it was good and it was bad because once again now I have to like be the bad guy but right. it really helped me understand and develop um, these kids who are going through so much stuff and it got to the point now where everyone would come to ISS because they knew if they needed something or if they needed a safe space or a quiet space, or if they were hungry, cause I always had snacks, you know, they knew they could come to my room. So when the kids were acting up, the rest of the kids, they would get the peer pressure. Like, no, 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 it's just cool, man. Yeah. Like just, you got to know what you, you know, you got to know how to act in there. He's going to take care of you. So um, I, I really loved that role and what it uh, evolved to, because that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to right. do the other, the other stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how I spent the next couple of years at Hartford high while I was coaching yep. uh, in, in that role. Um, 
so as somebody who's no, knows what it's like to be at a high school as a varsity athlete, your sports are the most important thing. How important was it for you to be in this school that you were coaching in? Once you had seen what it was like to be outside and once it was like for you to be inside, right? I mean, you and I know what it was like to have, you know, uh, Coach Lasbury as a teacher in, in high yeah. school, or, you know, Coach yeah. Kelly walking around. Like to have these people when we were at uh, in high school together to tell you, hey, knock it off because you know the other teachers are going to go straight to your varsity coach and say this person's a problem. How important was it for you and how did it impact your relationship with your with your students? And, yeah, and so um, Harry Bellucci is mm -hmm. a dear friend of mine. Harry Bellucci is is Coach Bellucci. Um, who who got me in and hired me for that position. And that was one of the first things he said to me, because when he started at Hartford High, he was at Buckley as a phys ed teacher. Yeah. Um, and he was working for probably three or four years to get to Hartford High. So he got from the Buckley kids, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the Hartford High coach. You're the Hartford High coach. You know, F you, whatever, right. whatever. Right, right, right. And right. then even though he got the respect, don't, you know, don't for get sure. it twisted. But, you know, half of it was disrespect mixed in with, you know, play. But then he would get it on the flip side at Hartford yeah. High going, oh, yeah, Buckley. you're a Buckley teacher, you know. Right. So that was one of the things that he said to me early, early, and it really resonated with me. Um, about being in the school and that's why I worked so hard to get into the school sure. um but it it was all those things it was to be into the school and dress a certain way mm -hmm. you know and and have my kids see me in a professional role and to see how I interact with all kids to see how I interact with my coworkers right. to see how um you know I handle myself day to day never miss a day of school. How do you miss a day of school and, and go to practice? It's like anything else. So, you know, football held me accountable in the professional aspect and, and vice versa. So to be able to walk in the halls and see a kid, and do you think any football player or any athlete for that matter wanted to get sent to in-school suspension? Yeah, no. Not one of them. Yeah, right. You should see their faces when they actually had to do it because I had kids who, you know, would get sent out of class or get caught skipping or late to school or whatever, whatever. So I think it's about building a culture, you know, within the school. And we know this and, and, you know, say I'm biased, but we all know that, that most of the time athletes run the school, For you sure. know, because, you know, because, um, a, a lot of times they they are are, are physically more imposing. Yeah. They are they um, are outspoken and have leadership qualities and are trying to get to college or trying to get a scholarship. So they uh, they they immerse themselves in extracurricular activities, regardless of what they may be. Um, and, and a lot of people like athletes because they like sports and they like watching sports. And if they can't play them, you know, they could watch them and cheer and, and that type of thing. So to help mold that culture, because you got a couple coaches in the school and there's always, you know, a corner that they're turning where you're standing there um, and you're supporting them throughout their school day and after school. You start building a rapport with them because. Listen, if if you see me at six o'clock in the morning and you don't leave me until six o'clock at night yeah. and you might spend four or five more hours at home and you sleep for seven, I'm your I'm your entire day. For sure. So now now it makes me have to step my game up in every facet of my life. 
I'm making decisions outside, you know, the workplace that I can't make because I'm not 22 years old anymore. You know, everything that I do, everything that I post, everything, you know, every conversation that I have, I never know if a parent's listening. I never know if someone's watching screenshot and something. So um, it, it takes, it forces you to raise your game up to another level um, because you have people looking up to you. You know, there, there could be nothing worse than making a mistake in front of your kids. It's like when you saw, you know, your parents argue when you were a yeah, kid. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, they don't get along all the right. time, you know? What's going on? So you gotta you gotta hold yourself to a different professional standard because you got all them roaming roam the halls and stuff. So cool. So let's talk about where we are today, right? Let, um, so I, um, from what I understand, you know, the, the conversation we had offline was about you being a paraeducator now in the Southington systems as well as the Director of Athletics, is that correct, right? For Hartford. Yeah, for Hartford Cal. So for the Police Athletic League, right? right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So this is this is a great story. My position gets cut at Hartford High, mm -hmm. and so now we're on our. Th I'm on my. I'm on my own fourth principal since I've been in the school. Jose Colon, unbelievable guy, unbelievable guy. I go into his office and I said, Jose, what's the deal? We got a new mayor. In Excuse me, we got a new mayor in town. Um, and he had to make hard, he had to make hard line decisions as far as, you know, education, police, fire, all that stuff. And I go into Jose's office. I remember it's early April. And I said, Jose, what's the deal, man? I said, are, is my position safe? And he's like, no, but, um, Looking at where you are on the totem pole of paraeducators, I, I think you might be there, but I promise you I'll save the position. I said, I appreciate that. I, that's fair. I said, with all due respect, I'm going to go look for another position mm -hmm. just to be safe. And he goes, 100%. I totally understand. No doubt. So I reached out to Mike Drury, who's the head football coach assigned to now, a guy I played against. Uh, Greg Ferry, who was the AD there, um, a guy I coached with in an all-star game, and Brian Stranary. You remember Mr. Stranary? Of course. Uh, he was the principal there. So I sent them all an email and said, hey, listen, not sure if anything's open, um, but I knew something. I knew something was open. I said, not sure if anything. Their ISS position was open because the kid who coached there uh, took a grad assistant job at Fordham. So he was leaving for spring practice. So I knew there was a position there. I said, I don't know if there's a position there, but if there is, you know, could you please consider me? And they all kind of gave me the scoop. And uh, I interviewed for the position, and I, and I got it. And it was right before April vacation. And so, I, like, a week later, I go into Jose's office, and I was like, uh, Jose, I got a position. He goes, what? I said, yeah, I'm going to start after after April vacation. He goes, you found a position in a school in a week? <laughs> I said, I said yeah, man. Cool. I said, I'm sorry, but you know, he's like, listen, man, I'm almost positive I could have saved the position, but um, but I understand. Yeah. So now I have to have the conversation with my football players because I was living in Southington, I was going to work in Southington. Mm. At that point, it was like I worked as hard as I could to get into the school to coach at the school. For sure. Now I'm not back in the school. I can't. 
I yeah. can't do that commute. I can't be driving into Hartford at 2.30 because it's a nightmare. Like everything that I had and that I worked for to yeah. that point was kind of, you know, it wasn't taken all away, but I lost a lot of the resources that I had because I wasn't going to go. I was going to leave Southington and go back to Hartford eventually, sure. you know, to get back into the school. It was just one of those things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, the the, the bureaucracy of the city. Like, no you, question. you guys are paying me peanuts, literally paying me like nothing. Yep. And I'm one of the people that you cut. If you cut an administrator at any one of the schools, you could have saved eight of me. You know, so I was really, I was really upset about that. You know what the kids said, I was in my feelings, you know, I was in my feelings <laughs> about that. So I end up going to Southington and that's in April. Yep. Uh, I have to have the conversation with my kids um, that I'm leaving. I'm not going to coach a, you know, I'm not going to coach a Harvard High anymore. And at that point I was 100% dead set and going back to school. I was going to go back to school. I wasn't going to coach. If I was going to coach at Southington, it was going to be like an auxiliary role like right. with the quarterbacks or something. So that conversation I had was the hardest conversation I've had in maybe my whole life to look at all those kids in the weight room and to talk to them. But it was a teachable moment about doing the right thing when you were, when you were their age, mm -hmm. I said, when I was in a tough time and I, I needed help and I, I needed support I went back to my community. I went back to the people who knew me and remembered me and they took me back immediately, you know, and if I was a jerk in high school or if I didn't do the right thing, or if I didn't play sports and people knew who I was and my personality, then I probably wouldn't have gotten that opportunity. Like I did. If the principal wasn't a football guy, you know, right. I might have not gotten that opportunity, you know, not that that was the only reason, but know what it helps it helps. No, it yes. helps relate those relationships help so i explained to them how important those relationships are no matter at what age um you know to always remember people's names and always be respectful and understand what people do and how people could help you because eventually that you might need them to because you could help them back yep. so um that was a really difficult conversation that led me into helping out in the spring and um and kind of helped been out in the summer. And a couple summers prior, I was working at a, another bar. I always stayed in my security positions, but they got progressively easier. Yeah, good. Um, so I was working at a place called Barcelona, which is this high-end Spanish bar, tapas, got great music, um, wines from all over the world, uh, uh, unbelievable food chefs have gone on to win like chopped from that place and i literally walk in there with with a blazer and jeans and i'm checking ids for a couple hours just to always supplement my income um because i was always working like para positions and stuff like that i was always grinding work a camp pick sure. this up pick that up always you know and and that's a big regret about you know not going to school and getting my degree quote unquote um, is that, you know, I wasn't in those prime positions to earn a lot of money. Mm. I'd have to supplement it other ways. So one night I walk into Barcelona and uh, the bartender goes, there's a hockey player here. I'm like, oh, cool. You know? Right. And they're like, why are you telling me this? They go, um, you're going to find out what position he plays. Yeah. And they're right. like, what? 
As I find out what position he plays, I walk away. And I come back. They're like, he plays defense. Yeah, yeah. No, like, good luck. Great. Yeah, you want luck. me to pick out the guy who fights people on For knives. Yeah, yeah. On knives. Yeah. You know, dating on knives. Yeah. So, and I think it wasn't even that he was, like, doing anything inappropriate. It was mm. that there was a whole crew of athletes, big dudes, that um, they were getting a little rowdy because he ended up he was uh, he was going to retire. He was going to oh, retire, and that's and that's why he was out. They were celebrating, having a good time. Um, so I turn the corner and I find the biggest guy in the group, and I walk up to him and I go, "Hey, man, we're going to have to ask your buddy to leave." And he's like, "Oh, I know, man. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." So um, they ended up leaving, no, no issues, anything like that, and. Uh, Six months later, I'm at football practice at Hartford High. So this is before I left. Right. And I'm looking at this dude like, I know this guy from. And we're both looking at each other. And, he, and we point and both do the Barcelona. He goes, oh, man, again, I'm really, really sorry about my buddy. Come to find out this guy, his name, his name is Dave Jorgensen, who's a dear friend of mine. Um, you know, I consider his kids, my nieces and nephews. Um, he's our chairman at Hartford Pal. Uh, he played football at the University of Florida. Wow. And he's working with my center. And my head coach is on the board for Pal. So I'm putting all these things together going, oh, man, because I kept on asking him. I'd always want to do more in the and my head coach would always be like, go help with Pal. Go help with right, Pal. Of and I never knew what that, what he meant by that. He's like, go see yeah. Dave at Pal. Go see Dave at Pal. And I'm like, I don't know, coach. I don't even know what you're talking about. So fast forward to, um, you know, a year or two later, I'm working Eric Mangini's camp for Coach Bellucci. And Dave is there, and he asked me to run a summer program for Pal. Because Pal was formed in 1957 in Hartford. Um, and it's gone through a bunch of different leaderships, and it was kind of dying down. And Chief Ravella, um, who is now since retired, and he's the head of the state police commission, um, went to Dave and said, Dave, I want to bring Pal back to Hartford. Hmm. Revive the program. And that was in 2012. So in 2014 or 15, that camp that Dave asked me to run for him, you know, after I kick him out of the bar and I find him helping my center at practice. Like, who is this guy working my center? Oh, he played in the for SEC champions for Florida. Right. Um, he asked me to run the camp, and we we crushed it. We crushed it. I hired five kids uh, who played for me. I hired um, another head coach who was at uh, Woodland High School at the time. And another college coach, and Andre Lawrence, my guy who worked with me at Harvard High, and we absolutely crushed that camp. Um, and that summer, going into that fall, and um, I was going to coach at Southington. He called me into his house and said, "Hey, we just got major funding from the Travelers, and we need to hire a program director." I know I, it was literally a week before the season and I don't make commitments that I can't follow through on. So he goes, would you be interested in being our program director? So mind you, if my position doesn't get cut in Arford, I'm still working for coach Bellucci who serves on the PAL board under Dave, you know, for Dave. There's no way Dave is asking me 
Charlie. I run the, the program at Hartford Pal because he's not going to steal me from Harry. That's not what you know. That's not what guys do. So because my position gets cut, I resign from Hartford. I'm I'm working in Southington. I'm doing the Southington thing. Allowed me to kind of slide in the back door, well, the front door, but for him to be able to approach me to run that program. And without hesitation, I was like, yes, 100%, absolutely. I had no idea what I was signing up for. But I trust Dave, and I trusted Dave, and I loved Hartford. And it was one of those things where I go, do I really want to go back to school? Do I really kind of want to coach football? Do I really want to, after 10 years, come full circle and end up exactly where I started in Southington? And the answer to all those questions was no, I, that's not what I wanted to do, you know? So um, I took that position and having no idea what that meant, um, it, it, it's now been six years. And I, I, it, that serendipitous moment that of sure. all these things happening, you're like, oh, I don't show up to work that night. I don't run into Dave. I don't kick him out of the yeah. bar. I don't see him at practice. I mean, there's so many variables that – had to line up so perfectly and you know to sound cliche everything happens for a reason type stuff I, I mean that is as true as that can be that's great so let's talk a little bit about what that looks like um i think my the listeners have heard about what uh paras do right we've heard about people in the in the classroom uh specialists and um help so i would ask then for you to focus more on what that looks like as the director of athletics for pal what is your day-to-day um, -day look like? How do you explain sort of who you are to when people ask you? What does the job now entail for you on a, on a regular basis? So when I started at PAL, um, that first camp I ran, we ran, I ran with an officer. His name was Ruiz. He ended up becoming a sergeant. So um, everything was kind of coming uh, uh, to head with PAL. Mm -hmm. So they interviewed a whole bunch of officers who wanted to be the PAL officer. They had me kind of in place already, um, and we were going to revive the we were going to revive their after school program. That's what it was. So I was coming in, not as a coach, not as anything. But I was a I was going to be a program coordinator because of my background working with kids and athletics and all that stuff, working in the school. You know, I had those tools to create. I've worked at the Y. You know, I worked at Camp sure. Sloper. Um, you know, all those things that it would take to be in that position. Um, I was walking in there. We had no idea how many kids were going to come into the after-school program. Um, we had, like, no actual formal programming in place. We were tutoring, and we had a great space with a couple gyms and an auditorium and um, you know, our building is the other half of an old middle school. They cut it in half. So we have the gyms, the auditorium, um, all these funky old office spaces. And um, like the principal's office, the nurse's office, all these weird spaces were our half of the building. And that is split in half with the Hartford um, Police Academy. So our building is a quarter of an old school. So. All we knew was that we were going to have kids come in the door and we were going to help them with homework. And um, we had a hockey program. 
Yeah, in Hartford, we had a hockey program that skated at, you know, the Hartford Civic Center, the XL Center. Um, so I'm like, all right. So I pretty much am walking in there with no expectation, you know, as far – I mean, there's expectation. But no expectation of what the program is going to look like. Uh, Brand-new officer. So me and him, we're going to walk in there together, and let's see how we could we could mold this into something. Um, so we ended up having like 30 kids and 40 kids and 50 kids. Um, the hockey program is, is something that we latched on to. Um, I ended up starting uh, a basketball program. Then we had cricket. And then all these things kind of started falling into place. But day to day to start, you know, I hired a couple of my former students at Hartford High. And we had a couple workers out of this Blue Hills Civic Association, a nonprofit in the city. And we just started building a program. And I went the first, like, three months without getting paid because I was the first employee they ever hired. So they didn't know, like, didn't understand what payroll was going to look like, didn't know. You know, they had to get all their ducks in the row. And they're like, oh, I said, don't even worry about it. I'm used to coaching and getting a check at the end of the year. I said, listen, I got my day gig. I'm good. Like, I'm here to build this stuff with you guys. Right. Like, let's, get, yeah, let's, sure. let's do this. Let's get after it. So I was living with Larry Lissio. Remember Larry? Yeah. yeah and sure. he got serious with his girlfriend. And I ended up, um, they figured it out. I ended up finally getting paid my first check. And it was like three months paying one, which is like jackpot. <laughs> and Larry got serious with his girlfriend. And he was like, hey, listen, you know, she's going to be moving in. And I, I said, yeah, say no more. He's like, no, I'm not like rushing you out or anything. I said, no, no, I want to move to Hartford. Make right. Move to Hartford. For sure. So I, I ended up finding um, uh, when I took the job, I ended up calling my boy Danny. Uh, he's a kid I played high school hoops against, and he worked with me at Klingberg. Uh, athlete, um, you know, wanted to grind it out too. And I said, hey, listen, man, I just got this gig with Harford Pell. I need you to be my right-hand man. And he's like, let's do this. So I got him. I hired four, four staff members from uh, Hartford High. I had met with the officer. Um, I moved to Hartford. I made Danny my roommate, and we just started getting after building the program. So, like I said, we went from a hockey program and a cricket program and, like, 30 or 40 kids after school um, to now we have – we get upwards to 100 uh, in that process. I learned how to do a budget, you know, make a budget for all my stuff. Um, serious incident report forms, mm -hmm. um, uh, permission slips. I mean, all the things that you you uh, take for granted when you walk into an established organization um, are all stuff that that I have to now create. You know. Yeah. All these things that I have no, you know, I was, <laughs> I was human resources. <laughs> I was a program director. I was athletic yeah. director. I was buyer merchandiser. Like I made the t-shirts. I mean, it was so awesome because I started gaining skills that I never thought I had. I'm sitting in on bo executive board meetings, you know, stuff I've never done. I'm, you know, we're talking with state senators and legislators and council people. And, you know, now I'm 
doing tours around the place. So to answer your question, what my day-to-day is, um, you know, I got to make sure the staff's all set and we have all our activities in place. We have our the bones to our program of what's expected when the kids come in. They come and get snacked. They check in. They get to their homework rooms. And then my job was to build out what the rest of their days look like. And without formal athletic programs, there was a lot of team building, um, a lot of uh, uh, small group games, large group games, uh, boys groups, girls groups, um, you know, uh, character development stuff. Sure. Um, uh, uh, on my end, uh, uh, community partnerships. So we have this place, Knox, that is a gardening uh, in the city. We work with them. Um, we work with the, the people of Aetna. We work with this group called Hoop Wave, an active city. So it's building the community relationships, getting our kids exposure to a bunch of stuff, um, you know, and ultimately giving them a safe space to go, you know, do their day. We feed them dinner um, in the middle of their day. Um, but now it's we have baseball and softball program, a lacrosse program, um, hockey program, football program, self-defense. Boxing. We got a boxing gym on the south end, um, you know, which is probably like 10 or 15 minutes away from us. So I got to kind of oversee some of that, too. Um, but I work with a different officer now. His name is Vinny, Vinny Marfella. And um, we're just we're trying to build we're just trying to build the biggest and best program, you know, that we can. Um, and we and we don't charge the kids anything. Right. So that's pretty that's great. Cool. That is really cool. Um, So you touched on some of the great parts about the job, right? You're obviously making a big difference in the lives of kids that need it, right? They need structure. And that's inevitably what the kids who go to PAL need uh, is a safe place to go, some structure in their lives, an opportunity to to make something of themselves. Um, What would you say is probably the most challenging aspect then of the role? Um, Okay. So one of the things you didn't touch on, that I think is the most important asset of our program yeah. is positive police interaction. For sure. 100%. We, in the climate of our world today, yeah. everyone knows how the last year went. Everyone knows how the last five years went. Everyone knows how the, the, the history perceived history of, you know, relations in the city with police officers go. Um, we have, the best asset, but the most difficult asset to work with in terms of public perception of True. the entire profession. True. Uh, and, I, and I'm civilian, you yeah. know. So the way, the way I carry myself might be perceived as a police officer, you know, and I get a lot of that. And I'm sure there are people still now, six years later, who think I'm an officer. Right. You know. So to to build a program where we have enough active officers and law enforcement people that have positive interactions with the kids with me not being law enforcement but in a leadership position and being civilian for myself it's really difficult to at times navigate all the different all the all the different dynamics of my position so i'm hired by a civilian board right i work with a city employee right sure our building 
is a city-owned building. Mm-hmm. Our building is a secure facility with weapons. You know, the yeah, police, of course. Uh, the the police academy is right next door. Yeah, I don't have a key to the building. I can't access any door. I have to go to my officer and be like, "Hey, Vin, I need the keys for the gym. I need the keys for the snack room." I like. So as simple as something like that, five years, I'd have to navigate the building without a key, without access. Wow. If an officer isn't there, I can't enter the building. Sure. Um, the bureaucracy of how the city works and how the officers work. Mm. So now I'm uh, working alongside a city, a city employee who has a certain set of rules. You know, so I follow those rules, but then I have my set of rules working under the the board, um, you know, being in the public eye, living in the city. Yep. So there's a lot, you know, you everywhere I go, you know, I got to be conscious of what I'm representing and all those things. Um, so I think it's a lot of all those mm. pieces that I, I'm I'm kind of handcuffed at times with my access and what I can do and what I can say and you know, the things I could suggest because I might get six officers who are willing to come help out with softball because I play with a bunch of officers on a softball team. But I don't know if they're expecting overtime or comp time or if they're doing it for free or if two want it or if two don't. And, you know, so I got to stay in my lane for a lot of things. Sure. Um, which, Which I'm totally okay with, but it's like, Sometimes when you want to get things done and you need to get things done, it's hard when you got to ask at every stop to to get those things done. So cool. That, that's I think that's diff, the probably the most difficult. No, that's good. Thing that's good. we could talk about your current role a lot ish, but I definitely want to get to some of the other things about your um, sort of uh, perspective on reviewing the past, right? Um, and so on these, you know, episodes, I always want to talk to people about, and I know this is really important to you, influential people along your journey. We've shouted out a number of folks across the, across the conversation so far. Are there a few that come to mind as like, without these people, I don't know where I would be today. Of course. I mean, first and foremost would be my father. Yeah. Um, my father worked his freaking, you probably remember my dad. He was in the 100%. stands every day. Yeah. 100%. So, um, you know, he sacrificed literally everything for me and my brother yeah. to, you know, for me to be able to build a life um, that, that I have and a life that he has right now. So, I mean, he's never judged me at any moment. I've made a ton of mistakes and, and just stupid stuff along the way. Um, he's always been, you know, my biggest supporter. He keeps the books at all our, uh, at, at all our basketball games. Very nice. Uh, we hold a high school boys basketball league in the fall. He keeps score of all the games and, uh, and he keeps the book for my little league team. So, I mean, without him, you know, I, I, none of this, none of this is possible. So, you know, I shout out Donald Esmail. He's the, he's the best. He's the best. So, um, yeah, him first and foremost, and then um, guys like Jude Kelly, who gave me my first coaching job, and Bob Lasbury, who I consider a dear friend, my high school basketball coach, um, who, you know, me and Laz had a little rocky relationship early, and that's because he was younger, and he, and he, and he expected more out of me at the time. He didn't understand what my path was at the time. 
Um, but he wanted, I mean, he, I see so him. That's my guy. He's off the court is what you're saying. So yeah, the court is exactly how it was. Yeah, exactly. He's always trying to coach me up. So, yeah, I got it. um, you know, Jude giving me that first job and given literally giving me a crumb when I, when I had nothing, when I had yeah. nothing. Um, and I still talked to Jude. I texted him the other day. Funny thing is, uh, he took a position helping out at Weaver high school. And if you know Coach, I mean, Coach is a legend. But he's calling me for, for advice. Yeah, and recommendations. <laughs> I said, Coach, just hand him your resume. I'm not going to give you no recommendation that you can't get. So, Don't you have a, ra- a state championship ring you could wear? Yeah. Like interview or something? Yeah, he got a bunch of them and dudes in the pros and <laughs> more wins than I could even begin to count. And he's calling me, hey, do you mind if I put you down as a no recommendation? No, That's when I knew I made it. That's when yeah. I knew I, like, at least got somewhere that yeah. I could be proud of when you know, my high school football coach, who's a Hall of Famer, in multiple yeah. places asking me for recommendations. For sure. um, Paul Morell. Paul Morell was a guy who, you know, gave me that position in New Britain when there's no – how do you even – how do you hire someone from yeah. Southington, you know? How do I go to New Britain? You know, all those things. So, um, you know, hats off to Paul. He taught me so much as a young coach. Um, I spent all my time with him in, in, in the coach's office. Um, you know, Harry Bellucci at, Har- at Hartford High. You, you see the trends. All these guys are guys I coach with. And yeah, for uh, sure. you spend a lot of time with them. And, you know, they're older people. So they ended up being like, you know, a second, third, fourth, fifth father figure, um, teaching you a lot of stuff, watching how they interact with people and, and how they do things, you know, with people. Um, my whole executive board, uh, um, uh, you know, for pal, oh, sorry, a woman, Kathy Morelli, she was the one who really pulled the strings behind uh, the doors to get me um, into Hartford High. Kathy's a dear friend of mine too. She was like team mom for for the team. She was the best man. She'd have kids in her office writing essays, getting them into college, driving driving them down to college, paying room and board to get them in. So, you know, Kathy's the bomb. Another coach, Ed Church, his wife. Actually, I got to connect you with her. She's uh, the CAO for Hartford Healthcare. Um, she's the best. The Church family does more stuff um more philanthropic stuff in the city of hartford i mean they are unbelievable so those are two people my board at hartford or at hartford pal um dave jorgensen mike clifford peter getz um those are three people that let me fake like i knew exactly what they needed me to do um and deliver a program that they were proud of and to grow a program that you know, we are proud of um, at this point, um, you know, th- that's really important to them and, you know, really important for me. So, you know, to think back, and, and I know I'm leaving people out, um, but, you know, those are the ones Frank Stamilio, Coach Stamilio, has had me on his staff at the Nike Clinic for 20 years. I mean, I got to talk to more coaches learn more stuff and have intimate conversations with guys who really know their profession um you know uh deeper than uh you know anything i could have imagined he's had me as his one of his right hand men in that um 
you know, and, and I have a lot of friends, you know, who support me and back me. And, um, but those ones, those are the ones that when you look at, you know, having pe older people, um, you know, because I get inspired by everybody. You inspire me, Sash. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why I reached out to you. You got a baby. Uh, can I say that? No, no, everybody knows. Okay. <laughs> you got a baby on the way. Um, you're rocking two podcasts. You moved out to Chicago. You got a beautiful wife. I mean, I get inspired by the littlest things. And, you know, we live in a time where it's, people struggle with other people's success because, you know, they think that maybe your success is taken away from what they could be having. Um, I love watching people do things. You know, my with, with I get inspired by Here's one. I had a kid who, who coached for me. His name is Jordan Sproul. Jordan was on that first staff that I had at camp. Jordan is a kid that if I had a daughter, I would I would do one of those arranged marriages and force her to <laughs> marry him. Um, Jordan is like the greatest kid ever. That's awesome. He went into the he went to like four different colleges just to try to bounce back and find a way to play. During that, he joined the Air Force. He was became an EMT. He was volunteering with me at PAL on Mondays for my basketball league. And I said, hey, do you want to – would you want to be a, a state trooper? And he goes, absolutely. Um, so I got him and this kid, uh, Richard Jernigan, who they both played for me the same year, um, to start taking those steps. Richard ended up getting a pair of job. I got him a pair of job in Southington. He's going to school. They're paying for him to go to school to be a teacher. Okay, so you got this inner city kid from Hartford going to teach fourth grade in Southington. Like, how cool is that? And then Jordan, um, in October, just graduated from the, the State Police Academy. Excellent. And he's like, hey, coach, do you want to be one of my guests to to uh, the, the ceremony? I said, do I ever? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I – I'll, you show me somebody, I'll show you how they inspire me. So, um, you know, those people are the ones that are true to my heart because they've invested so much in me. Um, but I get inspired by everybody, everybody. So two more questions for you, Ish, before we wrap here. Um, obviously you've had what would probably be considered easily as, as we've heard here, um, a non-traditional journey, right? Post from your high school experience to where you are today. Was there a time, is there a time, has there been a time where you would have gone back and been like, damn it, if I had only stayed at Worcester State, my life would be somehow better slash different? Or do you look back and say, life is exactly where it's supposed to be. I'm pretty damn happy with the way things have turned out so far. I do both. Yeah. I do both because I understand um, those decisions that get made at a certain time and the domino effect that those decisions play out to. Mm. Um, I could give you hundreds of stories of specific events that led to certain things that got me to this point. So to answer the first part of your question, do I look back and say if I could have, would have, should Yeah, like I should have been Rob Gronkowski before Rob Gronkowski. I should have been Travis Kelsey before Travis Kelsey. I mean, I was a six-foot-six wide receiver who could run and catch with a frame that now if you look at me, I look like an old lineman. So there was definitely room to put on 250 pounds in and do that. Yeah, do I say that? Yeah, sure. But I also look at the 99% of the 
the people who played high level division one or whatever didn't make it to the NFL. So then I say to myself, could I have really been that person? And, you know, the answer always comes back to no, because if I could have, I would have. So um, do I look back and say, hey, should I or could I have just, you know, finished my degree really quick and then jumped on and been, you know, some copy boy at a school and been an offensive coordinator at, you know, uh, University of Illinois right now? Sure, I absolutely could have did that. But then you start trading all those woulda, coulda, shouldas for the definites that you have in your life right now. And that's where I always struggle with. If you ask me the question, can I go back to the first day of freshman year? I would love to. I would love to relive high school. That was a time in our lives, you know, where most people, if you have had a good high school experience, um, to go back and be with all your friends every day and not pay. Yeah. Would I do that? Absolutely. As far as my professional career, I couldn't imagine you know, trade in any of those things for the things I have now. Like I have a beautiful girlfriend, you know, we live in an awesome house across from, you know, the a professional golf course. Uh, I'm 10 minutes from Hartford, a place that I love. I'm working, you know, with kids that I love, you know, the demographic of kids, the type of kids. I, I've gained unbelievable friendships. I mean, you know, I think guys like us, you, you're proving it. You, we could get along anywhere. You know, I could move to San Diego right now and make a life for myself. But, you know, you leave all those those certainties behind, and I, I'm not comfortable with, you know, making that trade. Great answer. So let's wrap on this. I Two-part question. And this is one you've given a lot of, of it already. Hold on. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you real quick. I got one thing I'm going to mention after the fact, but yeah. – um, once we consider this, there's something else that I wanted to just talk about, Hartford Pal, before we wrap yeah, yeah. up. No, no yes. absolutely. So last part, last question for me. Uh, first part of the question is, what advice do you have for yourself-ish at 14, 15, right? Now that you know what you know now, to tell yourself at 14, 15. And then what advice in general do you have for the listeners of the episode? Um, the, the advice I have for 14, 15-year-old self and it's the conversation that I have with kids all the time, because I'm in the high school now, um, is you got to surround yourself. And this is an old, this is an old Jude Kelly quote. You got to surround yourself with people who care. Okay. And this is, this is answering both your parts, but talking to 15 year old me, you got to surround yourself with people who care and they might not necessarily have to care about you, they have to care about something important that you might find yourself caring about as well. Because when you start surrounding yourself with people who care and care about the things that you care about that are important, then you're going to start putting yourself in a position to do good things and do great things. Um, and to really understand that, to have the foresight to know that once you leave that little itty bitty town of Southington, um, there's a whole nother life for you to be made. So I could have been the best basketball player in the world, the best football, high school football player, whatever, whatever. And I went back and I watched my films. I wasn't as good as I thought I was. You know, like in the moment, you like, you, you yeah, feel yeah, it, like sure. all the things. But like I go back and watch the film and I was like, dang, like, yeah, you know, so 
got to understand that there's a world outside of this place that, you know, you're going to probably talk to 10 people that you went to high school with. Everyone else is going to go off and make a life for themselves. So do all those things to set yourself up for the life that you want. Mm -hmm. You know, go to class, sit in the front row, ask questions, get extra help, understand the stuff that you're doing. Get yourself a little grind on the side, you know, find something that fuels your fire and gives you your why um, as at a young age and accumulate a bunch of skills. Don't go around to parties and chasing girls and, you know, only care about sports and not doing your homework and stuff like that. Instill those positive traits in yourself that could carry over to your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s and so on. The advice that I'd give to listeners is, you know, sort of that that same realm is that one of the reasons I I haven't gone back to school because I've gained so much life experience is that I still don't know what I want to do. Like ultimately, I don't know what my end game is. And I enjoy, you know, taking little steps and growing and, and getting those skills. So you know, the thing that I want to say to these listeners is don't ever feel like you're in one place and you can never leave that place or stuck in a place because all you have to do is make a decision and make a move. And as easy as it is for you not to do that, it could be just as easy to do that. And I understand we have tons of restraints every single day, but no matter where you go, if you're a good person and people can recognize that, you will find the help and the support that you need for people to get you to where you need to be and always find yourself a mentor, find somebody that that'll offer you a different perspective and some advice, um, you know, that you could take and execute on every single day and learn from people every single day. And the most important thing is, is get out of your comfort zone and go and talk to people and learn about people and understand, you know, different types of cultures and different types of pieces of society and, different types of avenues and explore things and, you know, go and try something new and, and learn and fail. You know, you'll find what coach always said, you'll, you'll learn more from a loss than you ever will from a win. You know, you always do because now you got to look into your side yourself and really ask yourself, did I do it to the best of my ability? Did I do it as hard as I could? Did I make those right decisions? Because you win, that's easy. You could have, you could have played the worst game ever and still win, and you could just cover all that up. So get out of your comfort zone. I started sewing, you know, like I started doing things, um, you know, that that I I wanted to learn about. I wanted to try. I'm like selling on eBay and yeah. you know these resale sites. Um, I, I got into cryptocurrency. I'm playing with the stock market. Um, I'm doing things that, you know, I've never considered myself, you know, int- I took up golf. I golf more than I do play. I don't play hoops anymore. I, I <laughs> stopped playing football, you know, so you got to just continue to grow and, and find the things that are important to you. Surround yourself with people who care and, and, and try new food. How about that? Yeah, There's some advice. Try new food. Try, try some new food. That's a good one to end on. So that's it for my questions, Ish. I know you wanted to hit, touch on one point uh, about Pal before we wrap. So I will um, give you that opportunity now. Perfect. 
So um, one of the things at Hartford Pell uh, that we're going through right now, and we have been, is we're doing an $8 million renovation on our facility, which is really cool because um, we're building an indoor athletic facility. We're redoing all the mechanicals. All those old weird spaces are all getting blown out and open up. And it's going to allow us to service more kids in the city and allow us to grow our staff and secure more funding and um, to be able to offer better programming. So um, I think navigating that with, you know, the worldwide pandemic and not getting our kid, not being able to get our kids in a building, um, you know, that's something I'm also struggling with too. Just try try to stay connected to all those guys because we're not built to have yeah yeah you know, online yeah it's not yeah it's just it's sure. it's really you know that's if you it's really funky because there's so many layers to that kind of stuff um you know so we're just trying to stay as active as possible but um big things coming from Hartford Pal in 2021 we just hired an executive director another one of my mentors a guy named John Bazzano. Um, and I think he's going to lead us in the right direction uh, to get, you know, secure more funding, grow more programming, and, um, you know, to get more stuff done. So everyone's struggling with the pandemic in, in some way, shape, or form. Don't feel like you're alone. Talk to your peers and talk to other people and see how they're managing it as well, um, because it, it'll definitely help you gain some awesome perspective on um, the things that you can be doing or, you know. Would like to be doing as well great well um ish i appreciate the time i appreciate all the details you know we've went through a a journey that may not have been what you thought it was going to be at 15 16 17 but you're doing some great work and on on behalf of everybody who is in the community that you are directly impacting you know thank you for the work that you're doing and it's uh, been tremendous and appreciate you taking uh, all the time to share it with the listeners Tosh, it's really, really good to catch up with you, man. It's been a long time. Um, and just to be able to chat a little bit before and chop it up and, and see that you're doing all the things you're doing, I really appreciate the opportunity um, to talk about myself a little bit, um, which I don't really like doing, but it gave me an opportunity. <laughs> you never guess. About... <laughs> you have a great story to tell, and I appreciate you telling it here. So It gave me an opportunity to catch back up with you, and I really yeah, yeah. appreciate it. No doubt. No doubt. So on behalf of my guest, John Esmail, uh, this is Joshua Baxi. As always, ladies and gentlemen, take care, stay safe. This was My Life Be Like.